Episode 50, Jason Kleinberg's Online Fiddle Course. The Online Course Guy Podcast. Regular people are taking their knowledge and content and packaging it up in an online course, and they're making a living doing it. Didn't you take some kind of course that covered this stuff? Check it out. It's a good course. It's a good class. Ladies and gentlemen. Are you ready? Here's the Online Course Guy. Jack Hopkins. Hey everyone, Jacques Hopkins here and welcome to episode 50 of the Online Course Guy podcast. I'm coming at you today with another success story interview with Jason Kleinberg who teaches people fiddle online. But before we get to that, let me tell you about today's sponsor of the podcast and that is of course Bonjoro. With Bonjoro, they make it really, really easy to send a quick video to your customers, and I use it to thank my customers for buying my online piano course, and I think that you should be doing the same. You can sign up for a free 14-day trial of Bonjoro by going to bonjoro.com slash Jacques, that's B-O-N-J-O-R-O dot com slash J-A-C-Q-U-E-S. My favorite thing from the interview today was when Jason was talking about how he got started. You know, he wasn't even setting out to make an online course. He was an in-person fiddle teacher. And what he did, and he'll explain this in detail in the episode, but what he did was he had this one student that needed a little more help. And so he would record some videos and just upload it to YouTube because YouTube was an easy way to share. So he'd record a little personalized lesson for this one student upload it to YouTube, but then other people started watching his videos. And he's like, wait, if I'm going to go through the time to record a video for one person, well, if I'm doing this video, then it might as well be for anybody interested in fiddle lessons. So that's how he got started. And that really got the ball rolling with his online course. So that's my favorite thing from this interview was just how he got started with that story. So let's go ahead and jump into the full interview and I'll talk to you on the other side. Hey, Jason, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Jacques. Nice to meet you. You too, man. So tell me about Fiddlehead. Fiddlehead is an online fiddle lesson site where people go to kind of like full service, learn from the very beginning and to carrying through to doing more advanced fiddle stuff. It started as a YouTube channel that I actually never intended to do a subscription style site. I, I'm an in-person teacher mainly, or, or was, and um, I had a student who would always want to video something at the end of a lesson, and it'd be like nine o'clock at night, and I'd be really hungry and tired, and then and I'd be really looking forward to eating dinner, and then he'd be like, oh, can you just video it for me now, or can I video it? And so then it would take another 10 minutes to do that, and then, and then after being, and he was a really good student and a good friend, but it was still frustrating. And so then after that, doing that a little bit, I'm like, I'm just going to film it in advance so, so I can eat dinner more quickly, with, you know, because so I can end on time. And, and then I just started doing that for this one student and putting them on YouTube because that was the easiest way to share it. And so, and then just kind of continued and I figured, well, if I'm doing it for him, I'll do it for other people. And just continued posting, and then other people started watching it, and I just kept. And because I had a lot of material that I just taught, I just kept putting up stuff that I'd normally taught, and it just grew. And then at a certain point, I'm like, "Gee, maybe I'll edit them. Maybe I'll make them better." And it so it 
it's like this fiddlehead is like the ultimate example of slow organic growth, you know, not only in terms of like it as a business, but as just how the whole system evolved as an edu- online education system. It just slow. it just went from just raw video to a pretty like relatively like advanced thing. Like now the videos have, um, finger charts that are animated and they have like these little animated clips that are like kind of fun, like clips that go in between the instruction, like kind of like Sesame street style. If you ever watch Sesame street, they have like 30 second videos. So we have a lot of these like five to 10 second animations. Um, and then there's a lot of extra stuff that's, kind of added on to it like the extra content like like sheet music and it and a, de- a developed a kind of a unique tab system for fingering so people can learn the fiddle without reading sheet music you know it can easily just get in and learn it and then learn sheet music later once they can actually play is kind of like the overall approach so that's roughly where fiddlehead uh, the this evolution of it and a- as it as it evolved, it's got more people involved. And like the, the probably the biggest and most important addition was a video editor who's really done so much for, you know, she's basically like a partner. Um, but she's done a huge amount to make this a good thing. Um, so it's been a really fun journey, fun uh, learning experience. I'm learning a ton. It's like I'm getting an MBA uh, on the fly. So, yeah, that's roughly where Fiddlehead is at. Do you have any questions? I have lots of questions for you, Jason. I appreciate that kind of a synopsis of everything. It's one of the more fascinating stories I've heard on just getting started, especially on the YouTube front, and that you were literally up- uploading videos to YouTube, which is a very public place for this one student of yours. Are those yeah. videos still out there on your channel? They are. They are. Um, the, the, some of the first ones are, are kind of the most popular ones. And I've thought about redoing them because they're very lo-fi. Like they were recorded with an older iPhone. And not only that, but with the, the um, selfie camera, which is lower resolution. And, and I didn't really, didn't really dawn on me that I could get a higher resolution if I used the other side of the camera. So uh, the other camera, I mean. So, um, yeah, all the, a lot of those, I mean, all, everything is still up. I don't think I've, the only thing I've redone is I've, I've added finger charts to some of the older ones. Um, and I would love to make better versions of those older ones, but, um, there's, I'm kind of really caught up in doing new things and creating new stuff. And so they are what they are. Nobody's complained. So I'm just keeping them there. Um, but you know, eventually like after doing it for the one student, uh, I, I just, it's just like, well, I might as well just keep putting up the stuff I normally teach, you know, for, for all my in-person students. So a, a very key thing to know about, related to this about Fiddlehead is that it's really intertwined with a personal experience of learning. And and I, I think that's the key to it all. And um, I still, like, I earn most of my living from the online site now, but I still teach in-person um, and I think it's just a valuable thing to still be doing because, you know, testing stuff and, and just getting a feel for how this, these things that I'm teaching work like in real time, you know, you like just have an idea like, Hey, try this out. So, um, yeah. So 
lots of long-winded answer, but yeah, the, the stuff for that original student is still up and it's just kind of grown, grown since then. Give me, give me an idea of the timeline. What year was it that you uploaded that first video? 2014, probably in January or February. Okay. I had just finished a big project and, and, and was, was really looking to do something completely different. And so the timing was kind of good. So at what point, I mean, you mentioned that when you started your YouTube channel, you never had the, the thought that it would turn into an online course or a subscription site. When did those thoughts start coming into your head? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, maybe like about two years into it, I was, somebody offered to be a sponsor and, and basically pay me a, a, a monthly like stipend or something in exchange for they would get all the advertising from YouTube. And, and that lasted for up until the time it started as a subscription site. But I think somewhere around that time it started, I started to dawn on me that this could be a valuable thing to, that I, that I could, you know, create it. Like I was aware that you could do something like a subscription site. And it, it took me a while to make the leap to it because I knew how much work it would be like just doing what I was already doing was a lot of work and, and to do it as I envisioned would be a huge amount of work. So I had an intermediate step of, I created just on my, my personal website, I created a fiddlehead section, which had um, just, uh, just basically a very, very rough outline, but I figured the outline would be valuable because as the YouTube videos piled up, um, that it was harder, you know, to, you, you needed structure. The students needed structure. So, so I think I got off track though. I think you were asking about how long. And so, yeah, it was maybe about halfway through this journey. So about two years ago that I started being like, yeah, I think that I'd like to do this as a subscription site. You know, how am I going to do it? And it was just a matter of, learning some things that gave me confidence to move forward and just kind of just doing it, I guess. Yeah. And you mentioned that when you first got the idea for it, it was kind of a daunting, uh, daunting task ahead of you. You knew that it was going to take a lot of work to get this online course, this subscription course up and running. So what are the steps that you ended up taking to learn how to do this and get it up and launched? Yeah, good question. Um, I think the biggest step was I, I read a book that a lot of people who have started internet businesses read, which is the four hour work week. And I, I realized that I, I, I shouldn't try to do it on my own. That, that the smart thing would be to, to get people to help as many people as possible. As, as I started to think about the idea of outsourcing, it started to seem more realistic. So like I was already outsourcing the video editing and saw how useful that was because it, it allowed me to just spend more time writing the content and filming. And, and by that time I was already starting to do a lot of play along tracks. And so, um, as I started to like picture how I would create the site, I realized I could get somebody to like say mix all the play along tracks and I could get somebody else to like help with uploading the content and I could get like a programmer to help me figure out how to get it up and running and get it, you know, and then uh, I actually had two people, uh, two computer people help. And one guy's more of a backend guy and he suggested getting a designer. 
It's like, oh yeah, well, I have a friend who's a designer. So my friend, I paid him to design it. And so it was just, that was the, the really the crucial thing is realizing that, that it would, it would be better to have other people work with. Like I could have in theory done it on my own, but it wouldn't have been nearly as good and it, I would have really burnt out. And so that's like the, I think the take home message for doing this stuff is it, you know, if you can get some help at whatever level, whatever level, and you know, I came from a, a bit of a do it yourself background and I think it's still consistent with that, you know, like I do a lot myself and, but, um, having people like a little team, even if it's spread out around the world as this one is, is really helpful. Yeah. I think that's one area that people in general getting into online courses or even online business could do better at is the outsourcing and just letting go in general. And that's great that you kind of did that from the start and got experts to help you in these various things because they were able to be experts in those things. And it also freed you up to do more fiddle related activities and being on camera. So it sounds like the first person that you outsourced things to was your, was your video editor. So where did you, where did you find that person and how did you even know that how to be a good delegator and outsourcer? Okay, so two questions. I found her because she was a fan, is a fan of the of a band I play with called Diego's Umbrella, which is like a gypsy rock band. And so she had been a fan of the band, and and we became friends. And she helped me with another kind of editing and animation project. And then, and so it was kind of in the back of my, my mind that she could do this. And then, um. I think at some point I just realized I needed help with that and I just asked her to do it. And then the other thing you asked about how to delegate, um, I think that the, the seed of like how to do it was, was kind of born by just doing reading like the four hour work week and some other things, but really it's just doing it and, and, uh, just learning, learning how to do it and learning how to communicate clearly and, um, how to try, try to anticipate, what you know questions or problems people would have and it's still something i'm learning to do you know like for instance um when i got the a music editor on board and the music editor just to be clear is what they do is they take all these um these audio files i've created and they i create them in a program called reason which is like an audio recording software and basically what this person does is he just bounces all the mixes or, or creates a like, you know, he creates hundreds of mixes of songs. And so it's a very easy job, but, but taking it away from me was really helpful. So anyway, to, to, when I first communicated to him how to do it, I wrote out like a two-page instructions and it was kind of useless. It was just really hard to understand. And, it, you know, it's much, it made much more sense for him to just try to get in there and just start doing it. And what I realized, I realized that I need to be better with communicating that stuff. And so I hit upon the, something that's probably obvious to a lot of people out there, but we're just screencasts. And so like now what I do is I try to like keep the, the written instructions very minimal and like an outline. And then if there's a process, I just flip on a screen, you know, start a screencast and start just talking through it. And so that's helped a lot with delegation. But, you know, honestly, I'm still learning how to do it and learning how to um, 
work with people better and and stay on top of it. There's a lot to stay on top of, and and it, it's been fun. I gotta say, like learning all this stuff has has been kind of cool. So a couple of years ago, you were making more from your private lessons than you were from the online course. And today you said you're making more from the online course than your private lessons. Was there one or two big, big things that you did along the way in the past couple of years that saw you saw a big uptick and, and made that start to happen for you? Uh, you know, um, it was just launching the this, this subscription site a year ago that really was the big st- step. And, um, uh, I, it was, it was leading towards that, um, for, you know, it took like, I don't know. So it started in mid, it took about three and a half years to launch from, from the day I did my first YouTube video to launching a subscription site. So, um, so that was, I guess the crucial step, but like I said earlier, it's, it's really like if I just to the best of my like memory, the whole thing is it was very incremental process. There wasn't any huge leap. I mean, the, even the launching it, the site was, there was a tremendous amount of work that led up to it. So it was, it wasn't like some huge climax. It was just like, okay, it's live at last. A lot of people were kind of ready for it. Like the, the followers are ready for it. And so I was, I was actually, I was actually traveling in Ireland last summer and, um, just, I, I, I don't know if I had a hard date for it, but I just, at a certain point during the trip, I decided, okay, I think it's ready. And I just picked a point like a week in the future and just launched it from Ireland, which was uh, really fun. It was really fun to be, it was part of like the whole vision of doing this was to like, have a, a little bit of a lifestyle shift where I could work more independent of location. And so it, it sort of was fitting to, to just do it there. And the timing was right. I happened to be there. And so anyhow, yeah. What was your strategy for that first launch? Um, well, I, I launched a mini course I, I basically just been building it up and, and, and it took a lot, you know, as anybody who's built something, like like this or probably anything, it always takes longer than you think. And I, I learned why recently from a something called the optimism bias. But anyway, um, so it takes longer. And so, but anyway, people were were ready for it, and and I was just talking it up on the Facebook and in various places. And then I so I started. I, I think I first launched a mini course called How to Practice Fiddling, and that was within the site. Um, and basically that was to just get everybody's feet wet with how it, you know, worked and everything and what it looked like. And then, and so people were already members and so forth, like free members. And then it was just a matter of like launching the full course, which is more of like, like nuts and bolts course on how to play. So that was the, the if there, there was a strategy, that was it. Just creating that thing to get people into it. Gotcha. So why did you end up settling on the subscription model as opposed to something more like my piano course where you have the course and it's a one-time payment and you get lifetime access? Oh, lifetime access. Uh, That sounds good. Uh, You know, um, I thought I'm thinking about doing that too. And I'm also thinking, uh, so short answer is it it seemed right at the time, you know, I have all this stuff and it's, it seemed like a good model. 
and so far it seems like it's worked. Uh, uh, but you know, I don't really know what it would have been, maybe it would have been better to do the, the lifetime thing from the get go or do just smaller courses that you buy as a lifetime thing. So I don't really know it's it's, it's worked out. So, but I am thinking of other ways to do it. And well, like one thing is uh, I'm thinking of having some courses that are separate from the main course that would be maybe lifetime access, like, uh, um, course, like special courses on like specialized areas of filling, like more advanced things. Um, so yeah, but I, I am entertaining the idea of a lifetime membership as well. I, that sounds cool too. Yeah, there's there's pros and cons to both, and the people that have been on the show, uh, there's a, there's a wide range of the way they like to do things. And I was just curious your exact motivation. It sounds like that's kind of the first thing that came into your mind, and so you implemented it, and it's going pretty well. So maybe you'll create another course down the road and try the the one time payment lifetime access model and see how that goes and compare them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, 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 that's the, I'm a little nervous to, to change anything to be honest, but, but I also think that it's worth experimenting with. And so, um, I'm, I'm building a new, um, course now, which I intend to like, I think it's going to be either, um, a standalone course and it might be that as well as part of like a more premium level membership. And so I'm just trying to figure that out is in a, I don't, I'm trying trying to, I'm not really sure to be honest, you know, I'm not really sure like if, um, people who are beginners, it's, it's kind of beyond a beginner thing. And so should, you know, maybe it's something you pay for later. So yeah, I don't really know yet to be honest. Well, I can tell you, Jason, from what I've seen, the, the right way to do things is that if you've got this standalone course that you're not really ever going to add anything to, and it just is what it is, and you, you start it and you take it step by step and finish it, that's more for pay one time, get lifetime access to it. But if you right. have this program where you're constantly adding to it, you know, um, Jessica Phillips comes to mind, who was on a previous episode, who teaches ceramics, you know, pottery type stuff. And she's adding a new pottery project to her membership portal every single week. And so it makes sense for her to be on that membership model. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, similar to Jessica's, uh, uh, we're adding stuff to the main course constantly. So, um, and so again, I, I, yeah, it's it seems so. So people pay a lifetime; they pay one fee, and then they get whatever new stuff she's adding to it. No, other way around. So, like, I do the one-time fee. Oh, because you don't change it, right? Okay, yeah. I'm not really updating it. I'm not adding new things. It just is what it is, and it's yeah. been the same for a while. With her, she's constantly updating it and constantly providing more value, which yeah. makes her customers want to stick around and keep paying that monthly fee. I think that that's pretty much what we're doing right now because we um, we're still uh, creating like mini courses and then just lessons that have the full content, meaning sheet music, tabs, playlongs. You know, like putting out things roughly twice a week, like full lessons. So um, yeah, so it's like an ongoing thing. So yeah, I, th- I think that that's kind of similar to what Jessica's doing with her sculptures. I, right. So where are you getting most of your traffic? 
Um, here's my cat. He wants to say hello. Um, mostly from YouTube. And this guy, this guy's actually in some of the videos accidentally. And uh, um, at first, it was just like, hey, Katie, come on, I'm trying to film. And after a while, it's just like, oh, it's kind of like something that people like kind of laugh at and enjoy. So I left him in. And um, this is a total side note to your question. But and then, then like there are a few videos. There's one on this song called Wagon Wheel by Old Crow Medicine Show. And the cat's just like laying, like I don't, he's laying on this rug or in the background, just like, and he all he's doing is laying there, but he, he's like a dog almost. And and uh, so people had so many comments, and you know, like they're so happy to see it. They're just like, oh, he he. So he kind of became a part of it. His name's Kitty, so I guess that makes me a weird cat person. But I started. If you looked at any of the fiddlehead videos now, all the thumbnails have his face branded you know, on them, but basically like taking like pictures of old fiddlers and then, and then Photoshopping his head on it. Um, so, but anyway, um, going back to your question, uh, it's still mainly YouTube. Um, it's the main way people discover what I'm doing. Okay, good. So no pay- paid ads or anything like that. Um, a little bit through Facebook, to be honest, I'm just learning how to do that, and I'm not really sure how effective it is yet. Um, and so th- that would that would ha- maybe we could check in in a year because I'm trying to actively learn how to do that and how to and like I know how to set up a campaign now, but the thing I I don't know that well is how to really understand how well it worked um, and understand the analytics behind it. So. Um, I, but I do, yeah, the, the one thing I do know is that it's mainly, I'm mainly getting people through YouTube. Gotcha. So on that note, you, you mentioned some struggles with getting Facebook ads working. What are you struggling with in your business? Um, in the business? Well, there's not a lot of, basically, it's just uh, the, uh, the biggest struggle, I think, is just holding it all together as one, you know, a one person operation with a lot of freelance help. Um, and just trying to find the balance, trying to outsource as much as possible. Um, but at the same time, learn, you know, there's a lot of this stuff, even if you outsource it, you have to understand how it works. And so like the marketing stuff, it's really been, I had a lot of resistance to it and then I, but I'm learning how to do it. And so I guess that the main struggle is just kind of the constant learning you have to do, which is looked at in a different way, very fun and cool. Like, you know, you get to learn things and things that I would have never, like for a while I was just like a musician and just like, oh, that's not me. I wouldn't ever do business and just actively ignored anything like that and actively like frowned upon the word marketing and and just resisted it in every way. And so um, <clears throat> just learning all that stuff and learning and keeping the whole thing running. So it's a very general answer to your question. Um, but that's really like the main struggle. Like I, I would like to be able to focus like most of my attention on just the overall direction of where it's going and on creating content. But I, I've got to do all this other stuff, you know, customer service, which I'm getting somebody to help with now. And, um, you know, bookkeeping. I never really had to know how to do bookkeeping. Uh, 
uh, marketing, analytics, all that stuff. And so, but it, with the right frame of mind, it becomes kind of cool. It's like, well, I'm getting an MBA. I just don't have a, an official degree. You know, like I'm le- learning, I'm taking a marketing course now. I'm taking this, but it's all through doing it and taking like, you know, little online courses to help you. Like um, there's free and paid courses on how to do Google Analytics or Facebook has something called Facebook Blueprint, which teaches you how to do Facebook marketing. Um, and so it helps to kind of have that attitude of like, this is fun. I'm learning stuff. And, but there's definitely times where it's, I feel anxiety and I feel like it's just way too much. I have way too much to do. And so those are times it's good to just say, okay, I'm just going to play the fiddle for a little while, just play a little music and then come back to it another day. So for somebody that that has a a hobby or skill like you do with the fiddle and is just getting that idea to maybe start an online course, what advice do you have for somebody like that at the beginning stages? I would say, um, I would say just start giving people things and seeing, seeing what happens, you know, just create something that you can just get up and get running and try to, um, kind of like, see how, how people react to it and develop kind of a relationship with even just a few people to see, see how that idea works. You know, um, I would say just do it, just get it up there. And, um, and then if you still interested and, you know, keep following that and, and seeing where it goes. What is the difference between a fiddle and a violin? So the fiddle burns a lot longer. Just kidding. They're the, they're the same instrument. <laughs> um, but uh, the fiddle re- applies to um, like folk music and the violin applies more to classical music. So same instruments, physically exactly the same instrument? Yeah. And, and although some, there are some fiddlers who will alter their fiddle, their instruments slightly. They might like, what's called flatten the bridge. So it's like lower action. Um, and, but, but it's basically the same instrument. Do you teach violin? Yeah, I teach, I teach violin, fiddle and everything in between. Um, but you know, not as much classical, a little bit of classical. And I was, I was taught, taught classical, but if somebody got to a, like even a intermediate level in classical music, I would, I would probably refer them to somebody else. Cause it's not really my thing, but I do have do like a lot of it, and I would like to kind of create some fiddlehead content, like beginning classical, because I'm really not a, a snob either way. There are people who are kind of snobs on both sides of the fence, and and uh, I just like music. You know, I mean, I I I, I listen to a ton of stuff way beyond fiddle too. You know, so um, but anyway, in terms of classical versus fiddling. Um, I would like to like for people who play fiddle, who have a little bit of an open mind, just say, Hey, maybe you want to try this out and maybe this will be fun for you, you know, and use, but use some of the same, I think there's a lot, a lot that could be improved with classical music education anyway. And I'd like to apply some of the fiddlehead learning techniques to classical music. But I mean, like I said, because I'm not really an, a, a seasoned classical player, I don't, could only go so far with it, but I think it would be a good 
thing for beginners to kind of learn in a more fun way, learn classical music in a more fun way. You've shared a lot of great insights. You know, the, the people listening to this are those that are thinking about starting an on- online course or maybe have an online course already and just looking for little nuggets, little ideas. And you've definitely shared a lot of good advice and, and nuggets we can take away from your story. So I really appreciate you coming on today, Jason. So in closing, why don't you just let people know where they can find your stuff online? All right. Um, well, just basically go to fiddlehead.com and head is spelled H-E-D. Um, my spelling has gotten a lot worse because of spell check. So that's why it's spelled that way. And so fiddlehead.com. And you can also find the same fiddlehead on YouTube. And then um, also on fiddlehead.com, I got a blog called Fidlosophy. And so that's, um, it's actually kind of a blog more about music practice. So um, if you're interested in, in how, especially if you're all those new online music teachers trying to find way strategies for teaching how to practice, which is a very central thing that that's it's so simple and that's so mysterious, you know, so I'm always trying to like find out what works for people and it's a whole other thing, but that that's in that philosophy blog. Great. Thanks, Jason. Thank you, Jacques. I appreciate it. All right, that's going to do it for episode 50. Thank you again to Jason for coming on. And you can find all the detailed show notes with all the links and everything we talked about at theonlinecourseguide.com slash 50. Don't forget to check out our sponsor, Bonjoro, so that you can send quick and easy videos to your customers or think of some creative way to use Bonjoro. There's a lot of different ways you can use it and you can sign up for your free trial at bonjoro.com slash Jacques. And don't forget about my online course workshop. It's free. It's online and it's at theonlinecourseguide.com and it's going to teach you how to start or grow a wildly profitable online course business. So this is for those of you that are just starting out, ready to jump in and create your online course business, or it's for those of you that have an online course already, but it just hasn't reached your goals. And stay tuned for the next episode where I was joined by Michelle Schroeder-Gardner, who runs MakingSenseOfSense.com, and she's just wildly successful. She posts income reports, and she makes over $100,000 a month from her business, and maybe 20 to 30% of that is from her one online course. So find out how she's making so much from her online course in the next episode, episode 51.